The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. We're in the middle of a series about Romans and we're going to start right off the bat by reading through a section of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. So if you'd like to follow on the screen, then I will read this to you. Here we go. God's anger is revealed from heaven against all the sin and evil of the people whose evil ways prevent the truth from being known. God punishes them because what can be known about God is plain to them, for God himself made it plain. Ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities, both his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen. They are perceived in the things that God has made. So those people have no excuse at all. They know God, but they do not give him the honor that belongs to him, nor do they thank him. Instead, their thoughts have become complete nonsense, and their empty minds are filled with darkness. They say they are wise, but they are fools. Instead of worshiping the immortal God, they worship images made to look like mortals or birds or animals or reptiles. And so, God has given those people over to do the filthy things their hearts desire, and they do shameful things with each other. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve what God has created instead of the Creator Himself, who is to be forever praised. Amen. Because they do this, God has given them over to shameful passions. Even the women pervert the natural use of their sex by unnatural acts. In the same way, the men give up natural sexual relations with women and burn with passion for each other. Men do shameful things with each other, and as a result, they bring upon themselves the punishment they deserve for their wrongdoing. Because those people refuse to keep in mind the true knowledge about God, he has given them over to corrupted minds, so they do the things that they should not do. They are filled with all kinds of wickedness, evil, greed, and vice. They are full of jealousy, murder, fighting, deceit, and malice. They gossip and speak evil of one another. They are hateful to God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They think of more ways to do evil. They disobey their parents. They have no conscience. They do not keep their promises, and they show no kindness or pity for others. They know that God's law says that people who live in this way deserve death. Yet not only do they continue to do these very things, but they even approve of others who do them. Yeah, there's a bit of a passage. That's been read from the Good News translation. But it, we come to a point here, really, where having in verses 16 and 17 of this first chapter, Paul has explained what the gospel is. He now goes on in this next chapter and on into chapter 3, verse 20, to show why everybody needs this gospel. But what I've noticed as I've been reading this is a tendency within myself to say, well, it's okay. You know, I've received this gospel. And I think many of you would probably think the same. We've received this gospel, so perhaps in one sense this bit doesn't really count for us. After all, John 3.16 clearly tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
for whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we say praise God for that because that means that we can know salvation. But what I'm understanding is this, is that for many years I was held in a rather superficial understanding of salvation. I had said yes to Jesus coming into my life because I wanted to know my sins were forgiven. So that's why I got saved. But understanding that having had my sins forgiven, coming to Jesus, now I am part of the kingdom of God. And I am therefore supposed to be living a life that serves the values and the purposes of that kingdom. And I don't think that has really been taken hold of by me, or rather I am still seeking to really take hold of that. There are verses in the Bible which obviously bring an awakening to our understanding. An example would be 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, where it says, He died, this is Jesus, He died for everyone, so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. We're supposed to be living for Jesus. So that helps my understanding as a Christian that I shouldn't be living for myself, but I should be living for him who has died for me. And certainly Paul reinforced this teaching to the Thessalonians where he told them about godly values, about living out godly values. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 to 8 read like this, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So you can see this raises a challenge for all of us. We ask the question, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? And I'm sure many of you would say, yes, yes. And that's great. You've received Jesus as your Savior. So here's this next question. Are you now living solely for him? That's the question that we're being faced with. And they are searching questions. But this passage that we've just read and that we're going to look into, I find useful because it shows me what the real state of humanity is like. And some of the reasons about why we find ourselves still in that present state. Despite my thinking that, look, I'm not that bad. And I know many of you are thinking, hang on a second. We're not that bad. And for goodness sake, we're in church. We're, we're fairly good. But we need to understand really what we are truly like. We need to understand that we need to be permanently clinging on to Jesus as he is the only one who can help us. Let me just repeat that. We need to be clinging on to Jesus. Why? Because he is the only one. One who can help us. Let me just remind you of what Jesus said about discipleship. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus identifies three particular things for us regarding discipleship, regarding us following after him, that we need to deny ourselves. That means the surrendering of 
me to Jesus. What has happened for us is that instead of seeking God for guidance, we decided that we were God. And we have claimed ultimate authority over ourselves, over who we are. But Jesus says, if we want to follow him, then we need to hand over the keys and let him drive. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross. By telling us to take up our cross, Jesus is asking whether we're willing to accept suffering for his sake and to submit to it. Whether that be God's loving discipline towards us, whether it be persecution or the pain of denying ourselves. We need to take up our cross. Jesus certainly gives no promise of a comfortable or cozy lifestyle. Thirdly, he says, following Jesus. Jesus invites us to be followers of him. Practically, that means that we're to accept his leadership, going wherever he chooses to take us. And these three points, Jesus says, are fundamental to discipleship. Now, when we come to Romans and this chapter of Romans, Paul is effectively giving us a retelling of the Genesis story, chapters 3 to 11. And in those chapters in Genesis, they give an account about how mankind fell into sin. And it tells of the flood, and it also tells of, or it leads up to the the building of the Tower of Babel. In those passages, we read things like this, Genesis 6, verse 5 to 7. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. And we know that God did that because if you read those chapters in Genesis, you'll read of the flood and how that it was Noah and his family. They were the only ones who got saved through the ark along with all the animals that they had taken into the ark with them. But after the flood, so that's before the flood and then there was the flood. Before the flood, God is saying like humanity is in a mess, utterly corrupt. And this is the base of who we are. So he wipes them out, but now now we've come after the flood. Okay, wow, that's been wiped clean. But look what God says in Genesis 8. He says, Genesis 8 verse 21, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. He's just gone through the flood and now we've got mankind back and that's going to be re-established through Noah and his family. And yet God is still saying that the issue with mankind is that they have the inclination of their heart is towards evil all the time. And of course as we go on in that story we come to the Tower of Babel and at the Tower of Babel we see that this humanity who had a heart and a propensity towards evil all the time, now they are learning how to come together in unity. And God is concerned to see that, look, in their unity, what are they going to be able to accomplish? And so by the time we get to the Tower of Babel, God is saying in Genesis 11, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. A group of unified people with evil hearts it's very worrying to know what they could accomplish. 
Now, okay, here I'm supposed to be talking to you about Romans 1, and now we're going to come into this passage, verses 18 to 32, and we're going to look at four things. But I've given you that backdrop just to try to encourage our understanding further. We'll see how we go. Four things we're going to look at. The suppression of truth, evidence that's on full view, too much is taken for granted, and a shameful result. So point one, the suppression of truth. Romans 1 verse 18. And I'm going to read this from the NIV now. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God is reacting and does react to the godlessness and wickedness of people. Godlessness is things really done against God. Wickedness is things done against men. Godlessness is an attempt to completely ignore the existence of God and to do just whatever we want to do. Do we see that in our society? Yes, we do. We see it all the time. There is a great tendency for people to completely ignore the existence of God and to do just whatever they want. But living like that has a consequence. And it's talked about the revelation of the wrath of God. It's not just that God's shouting in heaven, what's going on down there on the earth? It's not like that. But he sees what is happening, and in his justice, he is allowing things to happen amongst us. And he sees this godlessness, this wickedness, which is being done by humanity upon the earth, and there is a reaction from it. What is the reaction? Truth is being suppressed by this wickedness. God sees everything that's going on, and it's in complete opposition to his laws, his commands, and it causes his wrath to rise, as I've said, because of our sinful behavior. But because of our sinful behavior, we are actually preventing, we are suppressing. Suppressing is holding back, holding down. It's like because of the way we're behaving, because of the way humanity is behaving, there is a holding down, there is a suppressing, there is a denying of truth. Our behavior is actually preventing the truth from being fully comprehended and made known. Now, in one sense, you could say, well, that actually suits us. It suits us because, you see, we don't want to be made aware of our sinful self-centeredness. So it suits mankind to actually ignore God. It suits mankind to have this suppressed. But if you think about it, this is causing a major problem because it's blinding us to the knowledge of God. And it's actually taking us away from him. This is a very serious issue because it is damaging us. It reminds me of that verse in John 3.19 that says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The effect of our behavior is that it is suppressing the truth. The suppression of truth, point one. Point two, evidence that's on full view. Evidence that's on full view. Though our sinful behavior suppresses the truth, God gives evidence of himself to everybody. He's put himself on full view. Sin conceals, but God reveals. And he does that openly. Though people may say there is no God, God actually says, well, the evidence of me is on full view. Romans 1 verse 20, reading from the Good News, says this, Ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities, 
both his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. They are perceived in the things God has made, so those people have no excuse at all. Or reading that from the NIV, it says, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that mankind is without excuse. Mankind is without excuse. God hasn't hidden himself. He's not just some mystical, spiritual being. You can't see him, therefore you're never going to know him. No, the evidence of God is on display for everyone to see so that man is without excuse. You look out on a mountain scene and your first words are, are ones of wonder and praise. Wow, how wonderful that is. How incredible that is. That's the sort of reaction we have. We can be captivated by the majesty of creation, yet we find it difficult to behold the creator. The Bible tells us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know what? We sometimes recognize how true that is. You don't really think about it until you bash your little finger or you knock your little toe or something like that during the night. And suddenly, wow, that's sore. And you become aware of it all the time and become that part of your body gets healed. It's like you forgot all about it. But suddenly, when you've knocked it, when you suddenly are made aware of it, you realize, wow, I'm using my little finger all the time. I didn't really realize. The pancreas, uh, this has come to light just recently with what's happened with grace. The pancreas keeps your blood sugars in balance automatically. We don't have to think about taking insulin. We don't have to worry about those things. Adjusting every time we eat. Oh gosh, what's going to happen to our blood sugars? Why? Because our pancreas does it automatically. But if you're suffering from diabetes, you know full well, you've got to look into all of these things. That's just because we take so much for granted. Do you know what? We have life itself. We are living beings. We have life, and that life is so amazing. But who gives us that life in the first place? The weather. Who's in control of the weather? We can't even get the forecast right, let alone being in control of the weather. Only God is in control of the weather. Evidence of God is on display for everyone to see so that mankind is without excuse. And you know what? This is where this particular chapter starts to really challenge me. I feel as though I didn't need this chapter. And yet, as I listen to it, I find that my mind has been numbed from truth. It does get numb from truth. And at times, I can see creation all around me. You walk out, you see it. But somehow, I don't always see God. Somehow, I'm too preoccupied. Sometimes, it's as though the evidence that is on view is blinded to me. We need him. And there's only one person that can open our eyes. You see the problem that Paul is addressing to us that we find ourselves in? The evidence of truth is being suppressed because of the wickedness of mankind. And even though the evidence of God is around us, we can't always see it. There's only one person who can help us. And this is why we have to turn to prayer in God and say, God, I need you. I need you because I can't see you. The evidence for you, you have told me, is all around me. And yet, how come my heart is blinded to it? 
Only you can open my heart. Lord, I come before you and say, have mercy upon me. Open my eyes. Reveal to me the glory that belongs to you. Cause my heart to be able to see you. There is the suppression of truth, and yet there is evidence that's on full view. Third point, too much is taken for granted. Romans 1 verse 21, they know God, but they do not give him the honor that belongs to him, nor do they thank him. Instead, their thoughts have become complete nonsense, and their empty minds are filled with darkness. I said earlier on, there's a tendency for us to think, because I've received Jesus and I'm saved, I can ignore this. I'm safe. What Paul is trying to say is, listen, I need to explain to you the real situation of human beings. Yes, he has told us the gospel, and the gospel is to bring salvation to us, but we need to understand why we need Jesus. Because if we don't understand why we need Jesus... He's just an attachment to our lives. Our prayer and the evidence of prayer in our lives will be an indication of how connected we are to him. Because if we don't need him, we don't need to bother him. I won't bother you right now. But if we need him, we're saying, Lord, unless you open my eyes, I can't see you. I have been blinded to what is true. My heart has also been numbed to these things. And I find as we're going on here, they say they know God, but they don't give honor to him. What do they mean by they don't honor God or they do not thank God? They don't honor God because they don't worship and adore him. And it's not just that we sung songs on a Sunday morning here. Oh, we come and given our time. I've given a worship to God. It's not worship then, it's worship all the time. Where is the worship? I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at myself. How often is my heart ready to worship? God, I thank you because you are good all of the time. You are merciful. We take so much for granted. We forget to give honor to God and we forget to give thanks for God. We just take them for granted. Just two weeks ago, one evening, I just was going to do the washing up. Did you hear that? I was going to do the washing up, which I regularly do. It's not just to do the washing up, switch on the hot tap. There it is running. running. It's not, oh, what's the matter with this? It's running cold. What's the matter with our boiler? Why is this taking so long to come through warm? What is, and it was taking longer and longer and longer until I suddenly realized, hmm, there may be something wrong with the boiler. And there was. There was no evidence of life in the boiler. The boiler was completely dead. Some electrical fault, and it was like smelling bad. Whoa, something's gone wrong here. We have no hot water. We have no hot water. And suddenly there's an emergency cry that goes out. We have no hot water. And suddenly you think like, well, what does that mean? We can cope. I can wash up in cold water. That's okay. And then you think, what about the shower tomorrow morning? And Hannah says, you're going to have a shower in cold water? I'm thinking, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> because suddenly we're made aware that hot water is completely taken for granted. As long as the boiler's working, everything's fine. But you see, as soon as something changes and you're made aware of it, I can't take that for granted anymore. I can't just take hot water for granted. I don't want to stand under a cold shower. So I didn't. For two days, we won't go into that. <laughs> Needless to say, the boiler is working again now and I had a shower this morning, so all is well. But what I'm trying to point out to you is we're reading through Romans chapter 1, oh, this doesn't apply to us. But actually it's saying, like, hang on a second, do you thank God? Are you grateful to him? Do you give him thanks? Do you give him the worship that he is due? 
Is that something that's totally flowing from you constantly when you're at home, when you're at work, when you're walking to work? Are you looking at the evidence of creation all around him? It amazes me, you can see these programs of David Attenborough, who does not believe in God, who believes, you know, he's a Darwinist and everything. He's, he's preaching a gospel that's not the gospel. And yet when I watch his programs, I'm in awe of the animal kingdom. Why? Because I'm seeing the evidence of the creator. It captivates my heart. And I praise God for those programs because the evidence of God is being made known. The problem is that it's being made known so that mankind is without excuse. Because there is coming a day when Jesus is coming back to judge the world. And many people will say, well, there's no evidence. The evidence of me was on display for everyone to see. So that mankind is without excuse. Because on that day, every knee will bow. Every knee will say that you are Lord to the glory of God. Every knee. Listen, we take so much for granted. And I see that that is, takes place in my own life. I need to take on board that God is there, that he is real, that he is there to help me. And I need to believe in that with all that I have. And I need to start worshipping him. I need to develop a sense of thankfulness. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Not just taking it for granted. When I go to bed, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for getting me through this day. And you know what? It's so often it's just like, oh, I made it. And you sink into bed because you're too tired. And you wake up and say, is that the time? Let me get out of bed. Let me get that shower. I've got to get off to work. I'm running late. Everything's going wrong. I have got no breakfast. We're what? Father, we want to know you in our lives. We want you to become the God who you really are in our lives. We want to have you as the center point of our lives. You see, there's so much suppression of truth, we haven't even noticed that these things have taken place. And we're living our lives. We need him more than we've ever needed him before. And only he can give us the help that we need. Our food. These days, it, how often do we stop and just say, Lord, thank you? How, you say, do you say grace? Do you say grace? Do you say thanks before the meal? Or do you just head straight in? And it's so, so easy, to, oh, it's here, good, I'm hungry, quick, 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 let's get it, move on. You see, there's evidence there. Do we stop and say, Lord, thank you, you are my provider. Hey, hang on a second, I earned the money for this, I went to the shops and bought it. No, no, no. This is what we fall into this trap. We've lost touch of the fact of God is overall, and that he is in control of everything, and he is there, and we need to give him thanks. Father, thank you for this meal. Thank you that you've provided it. Thank you that you gave me the ability to go to work to earn the money. Thank you for the shops where I've been able to get it. Thank you for the farmers. I don't know what you want to say, but we say thank you to God. We don't just want to take it for granted. We do, as I say, take so much for granted. Yet it's actually God who keeps us alive from moment to moment. Job 34 verses 14 and 15, where Job says, If it were his intention, and he withdrew his spirit and breath... All humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. That's how much in control God is. He gives us life from moment to moment. 
But because we're alive, because there's so many other people alive, because there's so much to do, because we've got to rush and get on, we've forgotten all about that. But he is the one who is worthy of praise. We take too much for granted. Now, all of these three things that I've been talking about so far, they bring about a shameful result. Romans 1, verse 24 to 25. And so God has given those people over to do the filthy things their hearts desire, and they do shameful things with each other. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve what God has created instead of the Creator Himself. There's a stubborn refusal in man to go God's way. Instead, man wants to and continues to go his own selfish way, which includes us. It's the issue that we're dealing with as well. We have a revelation of God, but we find within ourselves a trait of selfishness, a desire to satisfy ourselves. And look, God, I'd love to do that, but not right now, because I need to do this. I want to serve myself. There is a continual desire for serving our own selfish ways. And the result of that is that God reveals his wrath. He does it in this way. He says, basically, okay, if that's the way you want it, okay, carry on. Now, that doesn't seem very wrathful, does it? But you see, it has an effect upon us. Because we rush after him and say, well, this is okay. God doesn't mind. I'm just doing this. We are not aware of when we're locked into this selfishness. Verse 25 says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve what God has created instead of the Creator Himself. So the results of God saying, Okay, guys, if that's the way you want it, if you're insisting upon going your way, if you really don't want to honor me, if you really don't want to serve me, if you really don't want to let me drive your lives the way that they need to go, okay. Okay, if that's the way you want it. And that results in man experiencing shameful passions, where man experiences sexual passions and commits sexual acts that are not in line with what God prescribed. And it leads man to experiencing a corrupted mind, thinking that allows people to do things that God declares that they should never do. And Paul goes on to point out that people are filled with all kinds of wickedness, greed, evil, and vice. And in verse 32, he says, they know that God's law says that people who live in this way deserve death. Yet, not only do they continue to do these very things, but they even approve of others who do them. That shows the extent of the corruption that can happen. That people can know that they're living this way and this is not the way that God wants me to live. And they know that God doesn't like this behavior. And they know that God says this behavior should be punished. But they don't only continue to do it. They encourage others to join in them along with them as well. Now I was thinking if this passage had pointed out to me specific sins. Like it says, Kevin, I remember three weeks ago you said this. That's not right. If the passage you read that and it's read it like you'd be hit, and he goes, Sarah, I remember just in fact only last week. This is what you've done. Wow. And if if we could read the passage and it was like that, we'd be saying like, okay, that's what we need. But you see, God is saying because of the wickedness of mankind, 
The result is he's saying, okay, I'm going to let you carry on like that. And the results are there's a suppression of truth. People are exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And you know what? Instead of worshipping the creator, they start worshipping created things. What do you mean worshipping created things? What do we give ourselves to? How much time do we give to Facebook? How much time do we give to social media? How much time in relation to those things do we give to God? I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to show us the state of where we're at. But there's only one person who can help us. And you see, that's why Paul had started off in verses 16 and 17, giving his declaration of the gospel. Because there he said this, Romans 1, 16, 17, he says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because he recognized he needed it. I'm not ashamed of this because this is exactly what I need. Because it is, listen to this, the power of God. It's the power of God. Do you need power to change? I do. I can't find that. I will never find that in trying to become better, in trying to work harder. I will never find it in that place. There's only one who is good enough. We were singing that there's only one who is worthy. There's only one who is worthy. And that's what Paul is saying. The gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness, the right standing before God is to be found. It is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So this passage, which is a confusing, difficult passage, this passage actually unlocks to us a lot of information. My personal prayer as I come to this is, God, help me. Help me. I can't afford to have my life where I have truth suppressed. I need to be able to see you. And I'm finding it's hard to see God. Sometimes, okay, there's the mountain view. God, you are good. I'll say that right now. But then suddenly I get lost in the pressures of life and God seems to have disappeared and he seems to be so far away and now I've forgotten about praying and I've forgotten about everything else and I'm just trying to struggle on with my life. I need him to come and awaken me. I need to know him and the power of his resurrection, as Paul says. That's what we need. Folks, this passage is trying to help us to have an understanding. This is what we're like. This is what we're like. And therefore, we need him. So if you want to say like, well, how do we react to this? What do we do? Well, there's prayer that we need to make because we need to come to God and say, God, we need you. We need you like we've never needed you before. But there's only one person to go to. And that is God himself. He is the only one. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. If we want power... We have to go to him and ask for it. And therefore, we need to pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning. Or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.